Yes, hello, and uh, welcome. So good to see you. And uh, I'm, uh, I've re- really been looking forward to uh, this, uh, this seminar. Uh, I'm very ex- excited about it. <laughs> uh, and we will see if you're also excited about it afterwards. Um, but it is a very, uh, what, what could we say, complicated uh, thing that we're going to talk about today. I mean, I have given the title, How Did We, How Did we End Here?, um, and I mean, these seminars is basically yourself that kind of suggests topics. And after I had sent this one in, I was thinking, okay, that was a bad idea. <laughs> um, that was a really bad idea because I mean, that it's it's, it's a very complex conversation. And um, and I've, what I will do is that I will do like a talk that maybe takes half an hour, um, and then we can take some. Then you have a opportunity to talk to each other and um, then you can ask questions or we can have a conversation and then we will see where we end uh, and we can take it in a lot of different directions uh, depending on where you want to go. Um, I'll just say I, um, I love the vineyard and I love um, that we can be here together on a week like this and uh, I was just... Uh, I mean, I really liked uh, Hillis' talk this morning about, you know, being Jesus' hands uh, and feet and just party. Uh, and it's so uncomplicated. It's uh, so um, simple, but of course it's still hard. Um, and then I was smiling by myself because I was thinking, what I'm going to share, it's not that simple. Uh, and it's also hard. Um, and we will, I mean, so it's just to say that I know that there's, there's a tension in the, in the way that we try to follow Christ, that there's something that is very simple, and we just have to love people, and we just have to pray for them, and um, then great stuff will happen. And then at the same time, uh, we have a, a culture and a wor- world that we would like to understand, we would like to know the different... Uh, changes the different uh, trends and streams that we see and we really want to understand them and that is not that uh, simple uh, that's more complex so in some sense we're living this tension between there's something that is very simple that we just need to go out and and, and do I mean just doing the stuff but then on the other hand uh, we also want to use our mind and our intellect to actually get a better understanding of the world where we're trying to do the stuff. So I think that we need both. And uh, right now you are in a seminar where it's not so much about doing the stuff, it's more about trying to understand what's going on. And I hope that's, uh, that's okay. And then we can go and do the stuff uh, this afternoon. <laughs> um, so it's not to say that, um, yeah. Um, and I think that um, for you that don't know me, um, I think that it's important to kind of yeah, and my background is um, that I'm, yeah, I'm married to Inge and I have uh, two kids. And uh, when I went to high school, uh, there was a very significant um, moment where I kind of started my journey into wanting to understand uh, our context and the culture that we are part of. And uh, as some of you may know, that I'm very much into sport. And um, I was playing football. And uh, me and my friends, we uh, were going to a Christian... Yeah, you, you actually do have Christian 
football tournaments. Uh, and, I, and I invited one of my friends from my other football team, my normal football team, to come to be on the Christian football team uh, because we we're going to do this church tournament. And uh, then at night there will be like a worship meeting. And uh, then my plan was that uh, he would become a Christian in the evening. Uh, so if I could get him to play football in the in the morning, then in the evening he would go to the worship thing, and then he would receive Christ, and we would all be happy. Uh, and um, and then we played the football, and it all went well, and we, we had there was a, I mean the mood was high, and everybody was was happy. Uh, and then we came to the meeting at night, and uh, I have to say it was a uh, late nineties. <laughs> and uh, I mean, it was also a a worship meeting with a lot of uh, you know good charismatic people um, that was gathered, and um, and I don't know I don't know how this happened, but um, the, the Toastmaster that we just heard about came on stage, and uh, he said, "Before we are gonna worship together with the worship band." Let us just lift uh, our voices in the in the language that God has given us, and um, and my friend, this was his first ever uh, like worship gathering at all. So three hundred young people started to like just go crazy in tongues, uh, and it just kept on uh, going for like yeah. Many, I felt it was many minutes. And uh, have you ever had? One of those out-of-body experiences where you kind of are lifted up and look down and see what's going on. Uh, and I had an experience like that. And I was like, from the outside, looking at my friend. And, uh, I mean, it was not good. Uh, he, uh, he was just in shock. Uh, and I came from a charismatic background, so for me it was like normal. But my friend was just in a... I mean, he just didn't know what to do. And um, I was... Uh, I mean, I was just thinking, how can I get him out of this meeting? How can I get him out? Because I could just see that he was such in shock. Uh, and my my background is that... Um, I mean, uh, sex... I mean, I mean, if you do sex, drugs, and one roll, then you are going to hell. Um, and um, so the worst thing I could think about was... What if we went outside uh, to smoke a cigarette? I mean, that was like the worst thing I could think of. As you can see, understand, I was very, you know, radical Christian at that time. Um, so I was. I, I said to him, "Should we go out and smoke a cigarette?" Uh, because I know I knew that he was smoking, and he was very. I mean, very quickly he said yes. Uh, and then we went outside. And uh, for you Danes, it was in Maya, uh, uh, and uh, and I was standing. The only cigarette I have smoked in my life. I stood outside with a Pentecostal like headquarter, and uh, and smoked my cigarette. And I was just thinking, I mean, what can I say? What can I do? Uh, and he was just very quiet, my friend uh, Peter, and uh, he didn't say anything to me. I didn't know what to say to him, and. Uh, then we went down to the bus stop, took the bus to a train station, took the train home. None of us said anything. Uh, and I cannot even give you a happy ending of the story that he later became a Christian. He just 
stopped talking to me. Um, and uh, he, and that that thing was, of course. Um, I mean, I was I was uh, 17 years old, and um, it really got me thinking that the world that I have been growing up in. I came from a my my dad is a Baptist pastor, uh, and I just had my first experience of that the world that I grew up in, uh, the Christian world, the church world, was just so very different from the world outside. Even though I was living in it, I had just I mean. It was just like I had not any understanding of what was going on outside of the church walls, mm-hmm. um, and then, and that's why I I I, um, I decided that or felt the calling from God that maybe it was time for me to after high school to go to Copenhagen and uh, and study sociology and try to understand why is it I mean. How? What is the world like that we are trying to be church in? How can we be good news to this world? And if we are to be good news, we need to understand the culture and the and the world that we are part of. And so, my whole purpose of studying sociology and understanding culture was that I thought, then maybe I can earn a lot of money, and then I can help the poor pastors that don't really understand their culture. <laughs> and that was kind of my. My my motivation, uh, yeah, and then I ended up in the vineyard, and I mean, yeah, that's ironic in some way. Yeah, being a poor pastor. Mm. So it has been something that has um, always kind of been on my agenda to trying to understand what is going on outside and how can we be good news um, to our to the world that we live in, and I think that the. You could say the scripture that has always been on my, in in my backhead, uh, being out there is, is from uh, John one where it says that you know the word became flesh, the the flesh and as it says in the message, and and it moved into the neighborhood, uh, and this thing about we are in the neighborhood and we need to understand our neighborhood in order to be good news, um, that I think it's. We need to understand the neighborhood that we are part of, so we can actually find out what are the good news to our neighborhood. I know it's Jesus, uh, but there's also a, I also do believe that we need to understand what is going on in our neighborhood, so it's actually uh, so it's getting easier for us to to do the things that God is calling us to do. And uh, so, what is our neighborhood like uh, in Western culture? If we define our neighborhood as Western culture. You could say there's many interesting things going on, and uh, you have probably noticed it in your own countries, and uh, certainly in Denmark there's this interesting things going on. Um, we can now say that I'm a woman trapped in a man's body without that being a problematic statement. I mean, my grandfather, he was not a Christian at all, and if I had come to him and said, you know what, uh, I think I'm a woman trapped in a man's body, he would probably have thought that I had lost my mind. I mean, in 50 years, we have been going from um, a statement like that to be just kind of ridiculous to actually that now it's uh, totally accepted. And it's very interesting to see that there's something going on in society that has made that change. Um, 
In Denmark, um, we are not allowed to call... Uh, there's an ice cream in Denmark that has been called Eskimo, uh, like um, Inuit people, uh, the Eskimo ice cream. And uh, last summer, there was a big debate in Denmark that we're not allowed to call it that anymore. And you probably have your own uh, things in Sweden. In Denmark, we also have a, a song, an old Danish traditional song, where, where it says that the Danish song is a young blonde uh, girl. And um, that is, of course, not allowed to be sung anymore uh, in, some, in certain places because, I mean, what about the red-haired people or what about, you know... There's all kinds of stuff going on there. Um, so um, so there's, there's a lot of stuff going on. We also have, uh, in Denmark, there was uh, just three weeks ago, there was um, this big uh, uh, chain of uh, supermarkets that also was selling clothes. And um, then they had a, a statement on the shirt where it says, um, Daddy's house, Daddy's rules, or something like that. And uh, and that's yeah, Fleming. What's the problem with that? But it it could be a problem. Um, so they had to withdraw the whole uh, like cloth uh, clothing uh, from all their stores uh, because there was a tweet about it. Um, so so there's all kind of discussions going on. There's all kind of things going on in culture, and sometimes we can think, yeah, that was a good thing. That that uh, for example, you could say the whole Me Too movement. I mean, I think that most of us agree that, oh, I hope all of us agree that, yes, I mean, men should not exploit women, um, and, uh, and that's a good thing. And then there can be other things in culture where we're thinking, okay, isn't that a little bit over the top? Um, but actually, our culture reacts to it. So we need to find out why is it our culture is so sensitive? Why is it that people are reacting like they are? Uh, and how can we understand, uh, you know, kind of why, 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 is this, why is the climate and the debate climate and everything, why is it so sensitive? What is going on in our neighborhood? <laughs> and how can we be good news into that climate? Does that make sense? Um, and of course, if I could just give you all the answers in the next 15 minutes, then I would probably not be here, uh, then I would be in another place making more money, but, um, but I mean, but we will try to see how we can understand what's going on. But I hope that you're in for a little bit of what we could call um, history uh, and, uh, and social theory, and I think that maybe the next 10 minutes will be a little, for some of you maybe it will be a little bit boring. Um, but I hope that we will get to a place where we have a better understanding of why we are where we are. But first of all, so I, I, I want to start with a story uh, about uh, vegetables. Uh, many years ago, there was a great uh, Christian, um, one of the church fathers called Augustine. And uh, he wrote a book called Confessions. Um, it was basically the world's first autobiography, where he was, where, where he was telling the story of himself. And in, a, in, in, a, in, in this uh, book, Confessions, he has a story of a time where he really was hungry, together with some of his friends, and um, they, they, they knew that there was a garden 
owned by someone else. And uh, in this garden, there was a lot of pears. Uh, pear? Pears? Pear. Yeah, yeah. Pear. 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 Whatever. Whatever. Pears. Let's just call it apples for for, 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 for <laughs> There was a lot of apples. And uh, and uh, so he is, his friends were just very hungry. There was plenty of apples and uh, or pears. Uh, and uh, so they went to the garden and they, they stole uh, the pears and they, they ate them. And afterwards, um, Augustine just felt convinced uh, by, by, by sin that, that he, I mean, he really had like a conviction that he had done something wrong. And he reflects in his book that he had <coughs> done something wrong because he has broken uh, God's law. And, uh, and that he actually, to live a good life, he had to live in accordance to uh, God's law and what God wanted us to do. That is the way to get the best life. So you could say there was something from the outside that was defining what is the good life. Um, and we need to, in order to get to live a good life, we need to be in the boundaries of how God has said it. Then, let's, then, like 15, 1600 years later, in, um, in the 18th century, there is another guy uh, who's also writing a book called Confessions. Uh, this guy's name is uh, Rousseau, and there's a lot of similarities between Rousseau's confessions and um, Augustine's confessions. And um, in, in Rousseau's confessions, he also has a story of stealing uh, vegetables. And, um, and he's uh, stealing, um, now I forgot the English name, he's stealing uh, asparagus. 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 Yes, or carrots. Let's just call it carrots. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, same thing. It's uh, yeah, it's healthy. <laughs> so he and his friends go to this garden, and there's just a lot of carrots. So I mean, no one will. I mean, it's not like someone will miss the carrots. And uh, so they steal them, go back and eat them. And uh, and Rousseau is also telling that he's feeling bad afterwards. But it's not because of God's law. It's because, he says, that society has put some limits around him that makes him feel bad. And if society had not put these limits and these boundaries around him, if they have not kind of pushed down their expectations of how to live a good life, if they had not kind of put up these boundaries then he would just have felt great about eating the carrots. So his conclusion is, to live the good life and to live the best life, we have to lift, uh, kind of, we have to remove kind of, you know, the boundaries of society. And we have to find our most, he was not using this expression, but today we would say, we have to find our most authentic self. And he's actually the first one to say that if, to understand a man, You have to look inside him to know who he is. Um, and this is in like mid-1700 something that he, he, he writes this. So you could say that Rousseau is in some way the father. Uh, he's the first one that expressing a movement that starts rolling with uh, the Enlightenment. 
Uh, and the Enlightenment is basically a movement that has helped Europe a lot, but it's also a movement that in some way have said we need to get into the core of who uh, man is. And we basically need to kind of remove all the strings from society that is holding man down. So we have to kind of get into, you know, what it goes so inside the man to really understand him and, and so he can be free. Um, so you could say in European history, um, we have had these two poles. Uh, one, that there is a world that is defined by a greater source. It can be an institution, it can be God, it can be, you know, there is some limits that we have to live in, in, in their kind of, you know, where they are framing us. And then with Rousseau and what has happened the last 250 years, there's another movement that says that all those things that come from above, from institutions, from God, from, from just society, I mean, we have to kind of be free of them to live a, more, a better life and a more authentic life. Um, and, of course, there's not only Rousseau um, that, has tried, that, that has been kind of... Uh, he's not the only one that is talking about this. This has just been a movement, but he was one of the first. There's an American sociologist called Philip Reeve. He is explaining uh, the development like this. He says that in the... He says, in, in like the antique uh, Greek, um, there was the political man, which meant that he was living his life in, uh, you know, at the political stage. What defines him was to actually take part in, in society that was going on. He, he came to kind of the Ayobagos, uh, the Marcel, and they were discussing politics and the good life. And the way that he understood himself and the way that man understood himself at that time was through the political work of how can we actually discuss and find out together what is the good life and what, was, what would it mean to be yeah, a human being, basically. And then, I mean, this is very simplistic, and uh, Mr. Reeve would probably tell you that as well, but it's a good way to kind of understand what's going on. Then what happened, the political man was put aside to what we could call the religious man. And, uh, of course, Christianity is a... A, a kind of a, in a, an example of this that, re, that the religious man was more um, engaged in you could say the religion and it was the religion that was defining what is a good life and uh, they engaged in uh, like yeah, religious activities and rituals and uh, in many ways man was defined by what the religion said what is the right way to live then what happened was, in, um, with the industrialization and, uh, and all that, uh, came what we could call the economic man. Where what, what was defining, and maybe came earlier, and there's an overlap between all these, um, that what defined man in Western culture was the economy. That you understand yourself from the trade you had, from the job you had, from the economy and your how well you manage to get through by your economy. And then what has happened over the last maybe, what do I, a hundred years, um, Phil Brief is uh, describing as the psychological man. 
that what has happened now that all of these is basically understanding themselves in relationship to other people, to institutions, to yeah, to the outside world. What has happened over the last hundred years in Western society is that we don't any longer understand ourselves in relationship to kind of the other other institutions, but we try to look inside ourselves to understand who we really are. If we really need, if we're really going to understand who we are, we have to look inside. And um, and Philip Reeve is saying that now we are talking about the therapeutic self, if I can pronounce that. So back in the days when you went to a therapist, um, you would probably the therapist would probably help you to understand yourself in relationship to all the other things that was going around about your social class, your family, your origins, and all that kind of stuff. But today, uh, most therapy is about understanding yourself from the inside and out. And, um, and that means that we are in a place right now where we are understanding ourselves uh, from within, and we need to... Um, our identity is formed by what is happening inside of us and, not, and how we are feeling inside of us and not so much what is going on outside. And one of the things that has happened in culture is what, um, what Philip Reef is saying, that before we had cultures where there was defined what is right and wrong, we had cultures where there was a certain hi- hierarchy of there was God and then there was the institutions, and then you had to live within those limits. But today we're living in what he calls a third culture, where there is not anything that is, you know, putting up frames of how to live. You have to find out yourself. You're giving some raw material, and then you have to find your own meaning with what has been given to you. There's no one and nothing from the outside that is giving you any help to kind of make meaning out of life. You have to create your own meaning. You have to feel within yourself what's going on. And then you basically have to get meaning out of how you feel inside. There's another guy called Charles Taylor. Some some of you have maybe heard about him. He is basically saying he has these two things um, when he's describing society. One he's called mimesis, which is basically saying that's a society and a culture where meaning is being given from the outside, there's a higher meaning that we need to understand ourselves in relationship to. And then he's talking about poesis culture, where meaning has to be found. It's not been given to you. And uh, Charles Taylor is then saying that basically what we end up with is that we end up with a society where you are the one that define what is right and wrong. And what, and how you define what is right and wrong is through your emotions. So he's talking about what he called expressive individualism, that you have to express yourself and you have to find out what is right and wrong from your own emotions. It is your emotions and your emotional life that is defining what is the truth. Okay, are you still following me? Alright, that's good. <laughs> so that basically means 
that if anyone makes you feel emotionally uncomfortable, then they are challenging your truth and then they are oppressing you. So if there's someone that is, if Fleming, for example, is saying something to me that makes me feeling emotionally uncomfortable, uncomfortable, <laughs> um, then I have this sense that he's not only disagreeing with me, but he's actually challenging my identity. Because I'm getting my identity from how I'm feeling, not from what God is saying about me, not for some kind of institution or from belonging to a certain kind of family. I'm always on the hunt or on the search to find out where can I belong. And the way that I find out how I belong is by getting the approval from other people. So I'm basically, in this kind of culture that we're ending up with, I'm always on the search to interact with people that can approve who I am. And if then you are saying something about me that uh, makes me feel uncom uncomfortable, un uncomfortable um, then you are basically, um, yeah, then you're saying that, hey, I'm not okay. You're not only disagreeing with me, but you're saying that I'm not okay. And I, and this longing I have for belonging and approval is really, you're really like, you could say, touching the most fragile part of who I am when you're making me feeling emotionally uncomfortable. Okay? That, all that to say is that it makes it very difficult to come as an institution, as a church, as God's people into our neighborhood and then say, this is the truth. And especially when it comes to, you know, ethics. There's a lot of ethics where we believe, where, I mean, yeah. Okay, now I'm coming with a very provocative statement. I mean, it, we have been growing up, or I have been growing up in church where we are saying it's very simple. It is in the Bible. And in some way, it is simple. But on the other hand, if we really want to meet people in our neighborhood, there's something about how we talk about the Bible that for us makes totally sense that when we're reading that book, we think, I mean, there's nothing to discuss. But in a, in a neighborhood that we walk into today, and we say, hey, we actually believe this because this is what the Bible says. Then you come in as an oppressor that is actually, you know, exploiting people because you come from the outside and you're saying something that makes people uncomfortable. I don't say it's, it's right. Uh, I mean, I'm just describing the dynamic that is going on. Um, and that means... If we really love people, then we need to take their position seriously. And that makes it very complicated to be Christians. Um, because we are in a constant dialogue about, okay, there's God. We think that God is actually saying something that is right for man. If we try to come with an 
a truth that is actually making people uncomfortable, their first reaction is that you are an oppressor and you're just trying to hold me down and um, and basically be, you know, someone, you come with your power and you're exploiting me and all that kind of stuff. And you are actually being uh, interpreted into, you could say, a neo-Marxist uh, understanding. And I know this, um, so basically, Marx was all about that life is about someone being um, exploited and uh, abused by some other people. And a lot of our culture is a, I mean, a neo-Marxistic kind of understanding of the world, that there's someone that has the power and they're trying to use and exploit other people all the time. And a lot of the way that, and, and, and a lot of people don't know this, <laughs> but if we are to discern our culture, that is how our culture has developed. And that is actually how a lot of things are interpreted. That is the lenses that a lot of things are interpreted through, that there's someone that has the power and they are trying to exploit everyone else. And there's actually a lot of good stuff about this. <laughs> um, there's actually a lot of good stuff about this. I think that the whole, like I mentioned before, the whole Me Too movement, I mean, that is great, that, that, that men's uh, misuse of power and how it has, um, you know, exploited women and they have kind of, you know, pressed women down, that they, that is actually being... Revealed that this is not, I mean, that this is not a way, I mean, I don't even believe the scripture would agree with that. Uh, but because, so that's a good thing. And also the whole, like, Black Lives Matter, you could say a lot of stuff about that. But to actually say that we are all created equal, I mean, if we didn't have all these, you could say, trends, um, these dreams that is uh, influencing culture, um, we would not have all the race discussions that we have. So there is good stuff about this. But there's also, it gives us a lot of um, challenges as Christians. Because normally we used to say we love the sinner but hate the sin. Um, that is impossible to say. Um, because you are in another part of our culture that I talked about yesterday is that we are living in a performance culture where our identity is also shaped and formed by our performances and what we do. So if I say that I like you, but I don't like what you do, the only thing people can hear is that you don't like me because I am what I, what I do. And if you are then... So if you are saying that, you are really making them feel uncomfortable. And they will basically just think that you are a self-righteous Christian that is, and your only agenda is to condemn people and to smack them in the head with a hammer. Um, so we need to find out how can we be good news into this kind of culture. And I believe that one of the side effects of a hyper-individualistic culture 
one of the side effects of that, and maybe you also kind of feel that in your own life, is that it creates what we could call a really great um, uncertainty. That if you only have yourself as, you could say, as the one that is defining truth, then you are actually always doubting, am I good enough? Do I have what it takes? And you will always be in a process of trying to get more approval. And there's a good um, German sociologist that is saying that if you're all the time is, is hunting approval and trying to be better than the person next to you, then you are actually losing the sense of yourself. And he's saying that is one of the things that this culture has also created. That we are losing the sense of who we are and we are being basically a stranger to ourselves. We actually don't really know who we are anymore because we are always in the process of trying to get approval. We are always in the process of trying to find out who we are. And in that process, we are losing ourselves. And um, as a, a, there's a Korean uh, philosopher that lives in Berlin, uh, and he has written a little essay called Burnout Society. And he says, the system in the Western culture has set us all up for burnout. Because, as he says, it's never enough. It's never enough. There's always more. Um, so, so in, in that sense, there is places in this culture where good news are, are needed. Uh, but we need to understand that in order to actually be bearers of the good news and actually that people can trust us, um, I actually do believe that we need to become friends with people that is not in our churches. And I have just seen that a lot of uh, us um, that are in the churches, we have had a hard time to actually become really good friends with people that is not part of church. You can just think about your latest birthday. How many people from outside the church came to your birthday? And uh, normally, when I, we, we will not do a raising of hands, uh, but normally when I ask that, uh, but normally when I ask that questions, uh, a lot of people are saying, "Hey, it was only Christian people that was part that, that came to my birthday party," and it's actually difficult to be good news to people that you don't know. And it's actually difficult to be and to love people, to love your neighbor is to know them. So if you don't know anyone that well that you would actually invite them to your birthday party, I mean we have a seriously we have a serious challenge of how we get to know people so they actually trust that we come with good news to them. Because I think there are good news in the gospel to this culture. That there's actually, you know, there's actually a place where you can belong. There's actually a father that is always standing there ready to welcome you home even though you have been out trying to find out who you are. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in the Christian story that will be good news to this culture. 
but you have to earn the right to actually not be an outsider that comes with the truth. Because if you come as an outsider, then you're just coming as an oppressor. If you really want to earn the right to be good news, they have to know that you love them. And you only and they only know that by you investing time and energy into their lives. And then you can show them that there is good news into their culture. I I will guarantee that most of the time if you try to come and say this is right and this is wrong, then the first the first reaction in our culture will be, hey, you're just condemning and out here to try to oppress me. So we need to know that that is how we are being interpreted in this culture, in this neighborhood. So if we really want to see a changed neighborhood, we need to find out how can we love and become friends so we actually earn the right to come with good news. Otherwise, you will just be seen as an oppressor. And I think that that is the biggest danger for the church in today's culture, that we will be seen as the people that is, you know, yeah, exploiting other people. Yes, so I think that was a good talk for a discussion and a conversation. And there's probably a lot of places we could go. There's a a lot of uh, things we could say. So I'll just give you two minutes to just talk about where you sit, what kind of struck you in this little talk, uh, what are some questions that it raises, and then we'll see where the conversations go. Does that make sense? Yeah. Let's go. All right. So any comments, any things you would like to say? Any? Yeah. I think that part of what has made this hard for us as Christians, I think historically, like in the modern times, is that, I mean, people, they really want to be listened to, and you said to engage in, you know, true friendships with people, and I think, from my perspective, the difficulty is often that we really haven't been listening much to what people are saying, and the way I see it is because if we have a conversation, if I'm truly listening to you, and I'm actually open to what you're saying, which means if you say, I don't think there is a God, I think we're here by chance. I think there is no meaning. And if, I say, if you say that, and I have to truly listen to what you say, I actually have to be open to the idea that you're right. Mm. And I think a lot of us have gone into a lot of conversations not even willing to be open to the ideas that people present. Mm. And I think that's kind of created a culture where we, we put our hands to our ears and then we just preach the gospel. Mm. Because... We don't want to risk losing our faith or to hear the bad or sinful ideas that people present. Mm. And, and that's made us kind of unempathic. Yeah, and I also think that part of what you're saying is that for a lot of us in the Scandinavian culture, we have been you know, in, in a minority setting. Uh, and then we're trying, when we're talking to people, we can actually sometimes, I, uh, this is just my observation, we as Christians can have a really low self-esteem and think if anyone is trying to ask questions to our position, then maybe I'm wrong because I'm in a minority position already. So we can have really low self-esteem, so we can be a little frightened of other, you know, ideas. Uh, and I think that's, that, that is at least also part of why we can 
maybe come out as say, hey, we want to convince them to have right. But another thing I was thinking about what you said was that I think actually we in the vineyard has a really great opportunity of engaging with our culture because if what people, I mean, if what people define as true, it comes from their own experiences. And we in the vineyard has a way of being natural, supernatural. Um, so when we come and invite God's presence to come, people, I mean, it's not about a discussion. It's just, hey, do you want to try out and see what God can do when we invite him to come? I actually do think we have, you could say, an opportunity as a movement into our culture. Because if someone's experience that God is here, then it's true. Um, then we don't have to convince, convince them with like theoretical kind of arguments. But the, if they experience in their soul that God is here, then that will be a truth for them, no matter what other people are saying, because they actually have experienced within their, you know, yeah, that God is real. Yeah. Yeah? Uh, one thing that came to mind is uh, my, my friend was in uh, somewhere in South America and came back and I asked him what was it, what, what are the main differences from this culture to Nordic uh, Europe? And he said, well, down there, if I wanted to borrow something from the neighbor, I would go over and I would first ask them how the family was doing, how the husband was doing, how the children were doing, you know, how the recent holiday was doing. And to make a short point, he would never get, you could not come to the you know, the, the case at hand, the question before you had made relationship. Mm. Always relationship first. So you have to ask about the mother and grandmother and you know, the ladies and devils and so forth. And I, at least from Nordic, Denmark, Danish perspective, a lot of times our dialogue, we have discussions, we don't have dialogues. Mm. We don't build relationships, we don't listen, we get to the point. What's the point of this visit? Is it to borrow something from you? Uh, am I texting you? To build a relationship or to get something for me, for me or to communicate something. So I think it just came to mind that we need to be countercultural in that sense, yeah. at least from how I see the, the Danish culture, to be much more relationship seeking and not to the point, not win a debate or get my communication across. And it's very difficult uh, for us and for me uh, as well. But, but that is another point about our, how we are seeing ourselves and how our. our our identity is formed in our culture because basically we see other people as assets to my own story and to my project and so I don't really you know we are not like in the relationships to actually get to to, to be a family to be we are there to get something out of it and um, recent surveys have shown that that hey I'm only in the relationship as long as it gives me anything so it's not really a you could say agape <laughs> uh, relationship. It's just what do I get out of, of it? Relationship. Yeah. I've met a lot of young people who uh, it's clear that they are longing for an identity. Yeah. Society won't give any clear answers anymore. Nope. Uh, Christianity and or the Christian culture has been deconstructed, and so they they're left on their own to find yeah. an identity. Uh, there are no right answers, but what you feel, yeah. and so that's really an opening for because there is a, a, an appropriate and radical critique of the way, like institutional Christianity worked in the Nordic countries and in Europe, and they're right to criticize that. But then Jesus comes, like He wants to give every, each and every one a 
true identity mm. and uh, yeah that's uh, a starting point yeah. at least um, I think it's uh, Charles Taylor who says that basically what all this is uh, an expression of is an expression of a longing to belong mm. and um, and we need to find out how the I mean there's a lot of narratives in the gospel about you know coming home belonging and uh, and we need to find out how can we actually communicate that that there's actually a place to belong um, that is yeah that is like where we want to be on a journey with you so you can come home um, yeah so I just want to confirm that yeah yeah uh, I am mostly my cushion friends just to brag so most of my birthday hey that's good but I think it's difficult because when I'm, I'm already into this relationship like people who knows me know I'm Christian and I'm very open and if we have a dialogue, it's a good dialogue, and they open and curious and stuff like that. But I'm also feeling that I'm scared to, like, scare them off. Mm. Like, for most people, it seems like it's a big jump to join me to go to a, like, church or whatever. Mm. And, yeah, and I step out to, like, actually pray for them is scary because I'm afraid they will, like, feel like I'm forcing them into this because we're friends or, mm. you know. But I will, okay, my suggestion to you uh, would be, and that is what I have practiced myself, uh, that because uh, some years ago I was also really frustrated. Okay, I have good friendships outside of the church, but how do I kind of take the next step? And, and I think that living an authentic life or a whole life is good. So, so what I started to do uh, was that whenever I was with my Christian friends, if we went out for a drink or if we just hang out, I, I would always end the evening with, hey, could we just pray and bless whatever we have talked about today um, and then ask God to be with us in the things that is, we are carrying on in life. And then when I started to go out with my non-Christian friends, I could say, hey, normally when I'm with my friends and we're talking about stuff like this we have talked about tonight, I end up with praying and asking God to bless what we have talked about. Would it be okay if I pray a prayer um, tonight and then ask God to bless what we have talked about? And because it's not, a, it's not because I want to... I'm basically just, as a friend, asking, hey, can we do this together? And I have never had any friends say no to that. Because I'm not trying to say, hey, now you have to go to church and now we have to, I mean, and now we have to tithe and, you know... Uh, but I'm basically just saying, hey... If I have to be an authentic self with you, part of my authentic self is my faith. And could I invite you into this place where I normally go and then just see what happens? And to actually have spiritual practices together with our non-Christian friends. I think that is, uh, that is something we have to learn. And we have to... So, uh, for example, I'm also a football coach uh, with my kids. And I'm in like a you know, in a committee where we're trying to, how can we get more female players into our, our club? And um, then um, last month we had a meeting about how can we recruit more after the summer program. We set up, you know, great goals. Um, and um, we were all a little bit overwhelmed by 
the work, amount of work and how we should go out and do all kinds of stuff. And then I said to them, hey guys, normally when I'm in a planning meeting like this, I ask God to bless the plans. Would it be okay for you guys if I pray? Because otherwise I don't think we'll get double our amount of female players in this club. Um, and then, I mean, some of them were a little bit shocked because it's like an old working class football club. I don't think God has, I mean, I don't think they used to pray. Uh, but then they said, oh yeah, you're the, you're, uh, yeah, you're the Christian guy, you can pray. Um, and then I, yeah, and then we prayed for, you know, this strategy of more girl uh, football players. So I just think that sometimes we have to take a step that is not invasive, but we are basically just, you know, presenting ourselves to other people. And then they can, of course, they could reject. Uh, but basically, we're just trying to be honest, like they are honest. Uh, and I think that we should try to find out how can I, you could say, relax so much in my faith that no matter how much rejection I get, I know that I'm still loved. But because a lot of us is doubting that God's, and that's also a theme in my own life, that we can sometimes doubt that God's love is enough, then we are actually afraid of getting the rejection from other people. But actually, it's true that God loves us, and He will always love us, and God's love is enough. And if we can trust that, we can also sometimes risk our social engagement. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Other comments? I know we have to probably end soon. Yeah. I just thought this thing you said about, you know, if I feel it, then it's, then it's true. Then yeah. that's true. That's also kind of seeking into the church, you know, when, when we say, oh, I feel distant from God, from mm. God, I haven't felt like I haven't got a great crying, uh, laughing experience, you know, in a while, I feel distant from God. Yeah. Uh, so we actually also have this, like, if I don't, like, yeah. physically feel right now, then he must be distant. Yeah, totally. Uh, it, 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 so it has kind of also affected us, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, a little bit, that this, like you said, the truth, God loves me, whether yeah. things are going great or not great, you yeah. know, whether I get the total great uh, worship experience or not, the Holy Spirit was still here. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah and I, I totally think that that is one of the challenges that we have, and that, you know, it can be positive that people can actually experience and feel God, yeah. But on the other hand, it can also be a challenge for us. And also, maybe especially in the vineyard, because we're thinking, okay, if I don't feel God's presence tonight, is he there? Um, and that is a truth that we experience. And, um, and I normally, I mean, there's a, uh, there's a Norwegian guy. Norwegian? Is there any Norwegians in here? Yes. Uh, there's a Norwegian guy. Uh, of theologian that, that made a survey of what is actually creating a robust faith or a solid faith and he basically say, says it's, uh, it's basically you know you have to intellectually you have to be able to put words on your faith and you have to actually be able to argue for your faith but you also have to kind of there's also have to be an emotional side uh, you actually have to feel it and experience it and then he says there's also a social dimension of the faith that needs to be there. You have to walk together with all other people. And, uh, and I think that we, we are probably in a neighborhood where it's all about being emotional. 
but if the faith to be solid and actually survive a very emotional culture, we also need the other three dimensions for it to sustain. And, and we need to find out how we can have communities that where we both can you know, have cognitive discussions around our faith and what we believe and where we can emotionally be engaged, but also that we're actually journeying together and we know that there's real community that is not only there to get something out of us, but it's there to pick us up also when it costs on their end. I, I have a, just a comment on the individualism. Uh, I think that sometimes uh, we might misinterpret, I think, the individualism of today's society because parallel to this development, I do see it, I agree, but intellectually and philosophically, uh, the awareness has risen more and more that our ideas, our identities are actually not really from inside but rather socially constructed mm. so all our thinking all our identities all our like gender roles everything actually everything even our language our brains are socially constructed so mm. we're actually part of a big collective uh, and we're not really alone in our uh, like ourselves thinking we can construct the world from inside so it's not Basically, I don't think it's really the whole truth to, to say that it's just my truth and blah, blah, blah. But in the larger perspective, I think uh, the awareness is so great. Uh, it's so strong now that it's rather that we have a society, a pluralistic society, where we have a lot of different uh, paradigms and discourses within which we construct our identities. Yeah. Uh, so everyone... So it's like... Uh, James K. Smith, mm. he talks about the leveling of the playing field. Mm. So it's, it's more like we are on, on a big table in our society. And, and now it's about having uh, uh, equality. And we have to uh, admit that we must, must give everyone a place on the table. So you could come as a Christian with your truth in that sense. You're happy. We, we, we need to be able to sit at the same table and say, as a Christian, this is how I think. Mm. And then our friends say, as a queer, this is where I come from, mm. or as a whatever it is. So I think that's also a way to avoid the oppressor, yeah. kind of, is to admit that, okay, this is where I come from, this is where you come from. Let's listen and discuss. Yeah, I, 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 I totally agree that... Of course, it's, it's all in relationship with other that ourselves are constructed. And we are always in dialogue with you know, other people, with other situations. And, uh, and everything is, is, so it's not within us that we find it, but it's actually constructed to us. And it's the way that we relate to, to other people, to other ideas. Um, and I think that, um, I mean, Jay Smith, he's, I mean, he's really a sharp also analyzing our culture. And he's basically also saying that when we engage in cultural activities, that is basically shaping us. I mean, that every, there is an agenda. Netflix has an agenda. The gym has an agenda. The nightclub has an agenda. And when we take part in their practices, we are actually, they have a telos, they have a purpose that we take part of. And that is shaping us as well if we are not 
aware of it, then we will just take part of their tailors, their purpose, their goal. So when we're doing different cultural liturgies, we have to find out and be aware of how it's actually shaping us. Because everything we do in the way that identity is constructed today is shaping us. Um, so I, I totally um, agree with that. I will just, uh, in, in relationship to that, I will just um, close with this story that have helped me a lot in trying to find out how can I be in mission to our neighborhood. And it actually comes from the book uh, Christianity Rediscovered by Vincent Donovan, which was a Catholic missionary to the Maasai tribe. And, um, and he actually wanted to go out and, uh, and tell the good news of Jesus Christ to the Maasai tribe. And uh, the Catholic Church has been out there for many years, and they've built schools and hospitals, but no one had become a Christian. Um, so he got a license from the bishop to go out and just focus on telling about Jesus. Um, and then the first night he comes to, to one of the, the campfires with the elder warriors of this little Maasai village. And um, then he says to them, could you please tell me about your God? And they start to describe their God and they say, he's the mightiest God, he's the best God, he's the God of the universe. And he loves the Maasai tribe, but he hates the Sulus. I mean, he just hates them. Uh, and he will not, I mean, he, ju- he doesn't like them. And then Vincent Donovan is saying, hey, how can he be the high God? How can he be the true God if he only loves uh, the Messiah tribe? And um, then they sit for some, in some silence. And then one of the oldest Messiah warriors, he, he stands up and says, so have you found, have you found the high God? And then... Um, and then he's just about to say, yes, it's Jesus Christ, and here it comes. And then he remembers that when Hitler was sending out soldiers in the Second World War, he was praying to God that Germany would win. And every time American presidents sends out, he was an American, sends out soldiers in war, they pray that God will bless them so they can win the war. And suddenly he realized that he had also made God just his God. And then he stands up and say, says, No, I have not found the high God yet, but I have come all this way to invite you into a journey so we together can find out who the high God is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think that that must be our humble <laughs> kind of attitude towards mission, mm-hmm. that we are actually also ourselves, there's a temptation to just make, put God into a box, mm-hmm. but when we journey together with other people, we can actually discover more dimensions of who God is. And together, if we, that's what Jesus says, if you seek, you will find. So if we together seek the true high God, then we will actually be able to find him together. Yes, thank you. If you want to read more about all this, I can really recommend this book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Uh, And uh, Carl Truman, who has written it, he has also written a more popular edition of it. Uh, Yeah. What? The Tribal. It's Tribal. Oh, yeah. Uh, Christianity Rediscovered.
Christianity Rediscovered by Vincent Donovan. Yeah.